0: Official podcast of Church at the Well in Burlington, Vermont. For more information about Church at the Well, including gathering time and location, events, and how you can financially support the podcast, please visit us online at WellChurchVT.com.
1: Me and my family were on vacation this last week. We returned last night uh, in the late hours um, from Mexico. And uh, my oldest son, Jared, he goes to college this summer. And so my wife and I had planned before our kids start going off to college, which is scary to say, it makes me feel really old. Uh, we wanted to do one big family vacation. We've never vacationed outside of Canada and the US before, so we planned this trip to Mexico. And um, it was wonderful. 24 hours ago, I was sitting on a beach drinking from a coconut. And it, it, it was wonderful. Now we just have to figure out a way to pay for it. Um, some more Uber driving what might be in my, my future. <laughs> uh, and today we get to talk about persecution. Acts chapter 5, we've been walking through the book of Acts. and Acts chapter 5, we read about persecution. And for me this morning, I'm kind of like, this is the very opposite of what I was experiencing yesterday here we are. Now, as I mentioned two weeks ago, the book of Acts takes kind of a hard turn in chapter four. The first three chapters of Acts are like a party. The first, You read the first three chapters of Acts and you almost feel like you're sitting on a beach drinking a coconut in Mexico. It's just one amazing event after another. We see Jesus ascends to heaven The Holy Spirit comes down at Pentecost in a powerful way. Thousands of people are being added to the church. We read about this crazy generosity that was happening in the church community where nobody had any needs because people were just being generous and meeting one another's needs. There's massive response to Peter's sermons. By the end of chapter 3 of Acts, we're left with nothing but just kind of warm fuzzies and smiles, It's just one amazing thing after another. But then we hit chapters four and five. And in chapters four and five, we read about arrests, imprisonment, threats, people falling dead because they're lying about how much money they're giving. Like, it's just a crazy chapter, and it doesn't stop there. By the end of chapter five, the church is facing full-on persecution. And, And when we were planning out our series in Acts, and walking through the book of Acts, I said, man, can we just skip this section that's really hard? If you're like me, it's easier to focus on the happy chapters, especially as a preacher. I want to focus on blessing and conversion and miracles and provision and community and all the great things that happen in the first three chapters. But Luke, the author of Acts, refuses to do that. And he refuses to do that because, remember, he's a historian. He's telling it as it happened. And he's writing it to this guy named Theophilus, and he, he wants Theophilus to know exactly what the early church experienced, the good, the bad, the ugly. And so he doesn't skip over the difficulties, the obstacles. They're important. Somehow they demonstrate that God is at work in them and through them and around them. And really the book of Acts, it shows us how being in the middle or being in the center of God's will isn't always comfortable. And that's a message that I believe that you and I, and we as the American church, really need to hear. Because there's a common misnomer among American Christians that if we're in the center of God's will, everything will be easy. Everything will be like a beach, (laughs) drinking out of a coconut. It'll just all go smooth. It'll all go easy if we're in the center of God's will. Nothing bad can happen, no difficulty or hardship. Everything we do will prosper. Part of this misnomer, we also believe that the only time we experience discomfort is when we're outside of God's will. But that's not at all what Scripture teaches, especially the book of Acts. It tells us otherwise, that that being in the center of God's will can often prove to be difficult. That following Jesus isn't always a bed of roses. Um, it can lead you down some, some really difficult roads. I got a booklet in the mail last week, and I don't even know who sent this booklet, but it was, it was a booklet, and the name of the booklet was 50 Countries Where Christians Face the Most Persecution." And in every page of the booklet, it had one country with some information and some pictures, and and each page described some of the obstacles that Christians face in this country. And it was eye-opening to to look through, to see all the cultural, the educational, the economic challenges for Christians. And in some countries, it's life-threatening to proclaim faith in Jesus. Um, About 12 years ago, I got to meet an individual by the name of Dennis Balcom. And Dennis uh, is a missionary to China. And uh, Time magazine mentioned him in an article probably uh, around 2006 or 2007. And he was wanted by the Chinese government because he was starting all these underground churches. Because in China, if the church isn't sanctioned by the government, you have to hide. You have to go underground um, or be persecuted. And, and in this article of Time Magazine, uh, the Chinese government uh, credited him, I wouldn't really use the word "credits," not a good word for, for what, what they were giving him credit for, for three million conversions in China. And uh, we picked him up from the airport, my pastor and I, about 12 years ago, and we, it was an hour and a half drive and. He just told story after story after story about what God was doing in the underground churches in China. And he spent the week with us, and we got to hear all these amazing stories. And one of the stories uh, was he was in this location. They were having church, and in in the underground church, you have to move every week. You can't meet in the same location. It's not safe. And so they were moving around, In this one time I think they were at, I can't remember if it was a morgue or a funeral home, or it was something where they were, caskets. It was not a typical church type facility. And the authorities found out that Dennis was there somehow. And so they raided uh, the church service. But of course the church had set up a system where if the authorities came that they would warn people inside. And so they got warning to him and the people kind of like pushed him and put him into a casket. And they just all started praying and Dennis was in the casket praying and and somehow they snuck him out of the building when all the authorities and police were like looking, looking for him. And I just remember thinking, and there were so many stories like that. And I just remember thinking, that is not my experience of being a Christ follower. <laughs> that is not my experience of being a pastor. And yet, what it did for me is it mirrored a little bit of present day of what Acts chapter 5 is like. Because in Acts chapter 5, that's the kind of thing we're going to read about. And we might not find today's sermon super relatable because um, it's not our common experience. We're not persecuted to that level where you're going to throw me in a casket and kind of sneak me out today. But this is a message we need to hear because it can help, help prevent us from equating faith with ease and comfort and privilege. Because I'm afraid that in, in our Western culture, in American Christianity, oftentimes we associate faith with, with, with comfort, with ease, with God just opening up all the right doors and everything's easy and we're, that we have, this, we have this special privilege and favor of God. And, and we do have favor of God, but we misinterpret it in many ways. And so I'm thankful for Acts chapter 5. This will not be in the top 10 sermons of the year um, because it's about persecution not many folks love, are you excited to hear, like maybe some of you did come here this morning and say, oh, I can't wait. I want to hear a good word about persecution. I need some persecution in my life. Not, you probably weren't, weren't thinking that when you came in this morning, um, but we're going to tackle this passage anyway. Are you guys ready for that? Yeah. I'm going to invite Nicole to come up and she's going to read the passage for us today. And I'll warn you, it's a long passage. Um, she's going to read, how many verses? Like 30 verses. She's going to read verse Acts chapter 5 verse 12
0: through 42. Thanks, Adam. All right. The apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people, and all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. No one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. As a result, People brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on them and uh, on some of them as he passed by. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by impure spirits, and all of them were healed. Then the high priest and his associates, who were members of the party of the Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord appeared at the door and opened the door of the jail and brought them out. Go, stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people all about this new life. At daybreak, they entered the temple courts as they had been told and began to teach the people. When the high priest and his associates arrived, they called together the Sanhedrin, the full assembly of the elders of Israel, and sent to the jail for the apostles. But on arriving at the jail, the officers did not find them there. So they went back and reported, we found the jail securely locked with the guard standing at the door, but when we opened them, we found no one inside." On hearing this report, the captain of the temple guard and the chief priests were at a loss, wondering what this might lead to. Then someone came and said, look, the men you put in jail are standing in the temple courts teaching the people. At that, the captain went with his officers and brought the apostles. They did not use force because they feared that the people would stone them. The apostles were brought in and made to appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. You gave us strict orders not to teach. uh, We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, he said, yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Peter and the apostles replied, We must obey God rather than human beings. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on a cross. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior, that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were furious and wanted to put them to death. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law who was honored by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered that the men be put outside for a little while. Then he addressed the Sanhedrin. Men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do to these men. Some time ago, Theodos appeared claiming to be somebody, and about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed, and all of his followers were dispersed, and it all came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean appeared in the days of the census and led a band of people in revolt. He too was killed, and all of his followers were scattered. Therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone, let them go, for if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail." But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourself fighting against God. His speech persuaded them. They called the apostles in and had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. The apostles left the Sanhedrin, rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Day after day, in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stop teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah.
1: So the first several verses of this very kind of lengthy passage that Nicole just read tell us that God's Spirit is continuing to move through the apostles. There's all kinds of healings and signs and wonders. And it says this, they're meeting together regularly at a place called Solomon's Porch or Solomon's Colonnade, which is part of the temple courts. Uh, They didn't have a church building to meet in, so that's where they're meeting. And it took a lot of courage to meet there because this is the same place that they were arrested earlier for preaching about Jesus in chapter 4, but they just continue to meet there. And the first few verses give us a glimpse of some of the tension that existed among the early church community. That even though the apostles were highly regarded and respected, it says that some people were afraid to join their ranks, to join them. Perhaps uh, they feared incarceration. Perhaps they feared kind of what happened to Ananias and Sapphira in the beginning of chapter 5. We're not sure. Uh, But some were afraid. Others, though, it tells us, uh, many others, were coming to faith in Jesus and being added to the church. And so Luke kind of makes it a point in chapter 5 to stress what's happening here in the community, to stress the great power that's working through the apostles, and specifically Peter. It says even his shadow uh, was healing people. And it it also suggests that the, the news of these miracles was traveling fast, at a fast speed. People were coming from all over the place, and Luke tells us all of them were healed. And and then we come to verse 17. Verse 17 says this, Then the high priest and all his associates, who were members of the party of the Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. So once again we see the religious leaders showing their true colors, that their primary concern was to protect their own self-interest. They wanted to protect their religious structures and systems. They were afraid of losing the hearts and the minds of the people. Now Peter and John and the apostles are gathering these large crowds, and they're jealous. Never mind that people are getting healed. Never mind that that people are coming to God and receiving forgiveness through Jesus. The only thing the religious leaders are caring about was maintaining the status quo protecting their religious institutions and structures. And so what do they do? They have the apostles arrested. But this time they don't just arrest Peter and John like they did the previous chapter. They arrest all the apostles. And verse 19 says this, but during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people all about this new life. At daybreak, they entered the temple courts as they had been told and began to teach the people. Now, this is the first time in the book of Acts where we see a miraculous rescue by an angel. We'll see it again in this book. But what's weird about this rescue is that Luke doesn't provide much detail or fanfare. He just simply states, an angel opened the doors and brought them out. I want to know more about like, the stuff. Like, how did that happen? How did that unfold? But Luke Luke doesn't care about that. He's more focused on the message that the angel gives them. Because this angel is delivering this divine message to these apostles, and here's what he says. Go back to the temple courts, the same place where you were just arrested. Go back there and keep doing what you're doing. Talk about the new life that comes through Jesus. So what happens is the next morning... The high priest wakes up. The high priest wakes up, and he he and the other ruling officials arrive to work that day. And they send for the apostles. They say, "Go get them. Maybe they've learned their lesson. They've been in jail for the night. Bring them before the Sanhedrin, which was the council of about seventy uh, leaders." And when they go to get the apostles out of their jail cells, they find that they're not there, and they're left wondering what happened. And there's quite a bit of panic, quite a bit of alarm. Uh, they're wondering how they could have escaped. Uh, maybe perhaps the apostles found sympathizers in the ranks of the uh, temple police. They're, not, they're, they're panicking. How did this happen? How did they get out? And then an officer enters the council and said, hey, we found them. They're right back in the temple courts where we arrested them, and they're at it again. They're preaching and teaching again about Jesus. And so the captain, it says, of the temple police, takes a, a troop with him, and he goes to peaceably re-arrest them. And it's not because he cares about peace; it's because he's afraid the crowd will stone him. And so what we find is this huge shift now that's happening in the passage, where the religious leaders are now on the defensive, not the apostles. That there's a crowd of people listening to them teach and preach about Jesus, and that. The the religious leaders and the temple police are kind of like quietly going to just kind of like stop it, but they're going to peacefully arrest them because they were afraid of being stoned. And it's getting quite comical now because uh, the tables have turned and the religious authorities are looking more incompetent by the second, right? They just arrested these guys in chapter four. They arrested them all again in chapter five and they just keep coming back. They just keep coming to teach in the temple courts. Verse 27, look at this. The apostles were brought in and made to appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, he said. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Speaking, of course, of Jesus. Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than human beings. And then he launches into a sermon because Peter never misses a chance to preach. He says, the God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging on a cross. He also doesn't hold back any punches. (laughs) But God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior, that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. And so there's two parts to the apostle's response here, defiance and awareness. At first, they're defiant. They've been told not to preach in Jesus' name, but they tell them, we have to obey God over you. We respect your authority. We respect your position. You can do to us as you will. Uh, There won't be violent resistance from us, but we won't stop preaching about Jesus. In fact, Peter just uses this opportunity to preach to them. He says, you are the ones who killed Jesus, but he didn't forgive you. He, he, he talks about Jesus being prince and savior. And the second part of their response is awareness. They communicate that they're, that they're not doing this alone, that God has given them the Holy Spirit because they've been obedient. And so the Holy Spirit is doing this work with them, and their defiance was in fact godly. And the Sadducean leaders were so furious that they considered um, executing them. But they couldn't do that without permission from the whole council, and part of the council was composed of, of, of Pharisees, Pharisaic council members. The Sanhedrin, uh, as I mentioned, com- was comprised of a council of seventy, and it was mostly comprised of Sadducees and Pharisees. And while the Pharisees were the minority party at the time, they commanded more public respect. The Pharisees had a lot of influence. The Pharisees. Um, most of the the public scribes and public expositors of the law were Pharisees, so the people knew them, the people listened to them, the people respected them. So although they're the smaller minority party in the council, um, the Sadducees could not execute the the apostles without their go-ahead. And it's here where their surprising figure emerges and intervenes by the name of Gamaliel, and he's a Pharisee. Verse 34 tells us, But a Pharisee named Gamaliel a teacher of the law who was honored by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered that the men be put outside for a little while. Now, Gamaliel, history tells us this about him, that he was one of the greatest teachers of his day. Uh, According to tradition, at one time he was the head teacher of the school of Hillel. Acts 23, which we'll get to in several weeks, we discover that Paul the apostle Paul was at one time one of his students before being converted to faith in Jesus. And Gamaliel was very respected when he spoke people listened. And so he addresses the council, he stands up, and he says this, "Consider carefully what you're about to do." And he tells them two stories of revolt that were failures. He says, remember when uh, Theodos and 400 men tried to revolt? Nothing came of it. He was killed. His followers disappeared. Then soon after, Judas the Galilean started to revolt. He too was killed. All his followers uh, dispersed. Nothing came of that attempt either. And so he advises the council using those two stories as evidence, leave these men alone and let them go. And he tells them if what they're doing is of human origin, it will fail. But if it's from God, you won't be able to stop them. He says, in fact, you'll be fighting against God. Verse 40 says, his speech persuaded them. They called the apostles in and had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Day after day in the temple courts, from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. It says they were flogged, and if the flogging involved the prescribed 39 lashes for breaking Jewish law, which was um, kind of what the penalty was for breaking Jewish law, it was a very serious punishment. 40 lashes were known to kill a person. And so they would administer 40 minus 1 would be the the usual punishment. We don't know how many uh, lashes they received at this flogging, but um, we can guess that it was probably pretty severe. If you remember, Jesus himself received 39 lashes before going to the cross. The reason he didn't receive 40 is because they wanted him alive for crucifixion, but it was a brutal flogging. And yet after being flogged, however many lashes they received, they left rejoicing. They counted it a privilege. Wow. Here's what's remarkable about this story. Persecution didn't squelch their passion for Jesus. It ignited it. It tells us that after that time, they never stopped. They never stopped teaching. They went day after day in the temple courts and from house to house. And here's what's so amazing about this story in Acts chapter 5. It was these same apostles who all fled the scene when Jesus was arrested at the Garden of Gethsemane just a few months earlier. These same guys. In fact, it was Peter. Remember, Peter was the one who denied that he even knew Jesus three times. And now here they are just a few months later, demonstrating all sorts of courage. They're standing up to the very same men who had Jesus executed. What happened? Well, for one, yeah, for one, they were filled with the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2. And somewhere along the way, they decided to trade in a life of security for a life of significance. Somewhere along the way, after being filled with the Spirit, they said, enough of this living to be secure. And they changed it in, they traded it in for a life of significance. They learned somewhere along the way, they learned the Holy Spirit was teaching them, right? Acts tells us. They learned that courage isn't the absence of fear, it's the absence of self. See, here's what I love about the Bible. The scripture is full of stories of cowards who meet God and begin living courageous lives. If you read the Bible, if you read scriptures, what you'll find page after page after page is all of these cowards meet God. Cowards like you and I, they meet God. And through meeting God, they begin to live courageously. And here's what we learn from Acts chapter 5 that living by faith isn't about finding a way around suffering and difficulties it's about stepping into the life that God has for us. It's about trusting him that he'll lead us through suffering and difficulty and even use them for his glory and for the benefit of others. See, here's the thing that we notice in the book of Acts, is that when the disciples started walking courageously, God somehow accelerated their future. He... When they started acting courageously, it's like he presses down on the gas pedal. See, the persecution didn't slow them down. It sped them up. It put them in fast forward. It says in verse 42, day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. So here's my question for you this morning. Where is God waiting for you to be courageous? Let me reframe that. What difficulties and challenges in your life have you been trying to go around when God is waiting to take you through them instead? One more question. What areas of your life do you need God to press down on the accelerator? So you think oftentimes as Christians, we, we live under this false idea that if we're led by the Spirit, that if we're in the center of God's will, that if we're following Jesus, then everything will just open up for us and every, it'll, it'll just be easy. Everything will be great. But what Scripture teaches us, in fact, is that when we follow Jesus and we're led by the Holy Spirit, that will actually lead us into some pretty dangerous places, some pretty difficult places, some places that are filled with some challenges. Why? Because that's when we get to put our faith in him and not ourselves. That's when he gets glorified and not ourselves. Right? That's where we benefit others and not ourselves. See, courage isn't about getting rid of fear. It's, it's, it's about getting rid of self. And what's amazing to me is that all around us today, people are tiptoeing through life just to arrive at death safely. Right? They're not taking any risks. They're just, no, I've just got to be In many ways, we act like the religious leaders. We'll do anything to keep our security, just to be in this safe little bubble. And we don't want God to lead us out of it because it's not safe, it's not secure. Yet I'm going to challenge you, the safest place for us to be is in the center of God's will. It's not easy, but it's safe because he's there with us. He's leading us, Right? And so a question that we have to ask ourselves as we read Acts chapter 5, I told you this was not going to be one of your favorite sermons. (laughs) The question we have to ask ourselves when we read Acts chapter 5 is this. Are we willing to trade in a life of security for a life of significance? Are we willing to allow the Holy Spirit to lead us to places? The the apostles, an angel just freed them from jail. And God tells them, yeah, go right back to it. And if I was them, it would be what? That's just wasting a good miracle. <laughs> like, we're just going to be back here and they're going to flog us. But they do it and they rejoice in it. Why? Because they know God is leading them, they know God is with them. See, many times for you and I, we're fearful to let God and the Holy Spirit lead us into something new, lead us into something challenging, because we're spending all of our time trying to avoid discomfort. No, no, that's not God's will. Discomfort is, is not God's will. Everything should be easy if I mean Man, Acts chapter 5 kind of challenges that belief. One thing we'll notice in the book of Acts is that the early church and the disciples prayed for boldness more than anything else. Why? Because they knew they needed it. They knew that God was going to lead them to, into the life that He had for them. And that it was going to require boldness. That it was going to require them to trade their security for something better, for significance. See, when we decide to follow Jesus, we're not promised that everything will go well for us. But we are promised that we'll have a life that's well lived. See, the problem with a lot of American gospel is that, oh, if, if, if you just follow Jesus, here's nine keys to a happy, beautiful life. And we buy into this, yes, the easy life. Yeah, I want, I want that gospel. But that's not the gospel the Bible teaches. That Jesus never promised his followers that everything would go well for us all the time. But he promised us that our lives would be well lived. That we could have significance. That we could be on co-mission with him. Right? So I'll ask you this one more time. What difficult thing is God wanting to lead you in that you've been resisting and trying to go around? Think about that for a minute. What difficulty, what challenge, what risk, what thing that scares you that you know God's trying to lead you in, but you've just been trying to just find a way around it? Because it's too challenging. It's just too difficult. It's just not the way people do things. But could it be that God is waiting for you to find the courage To allow him to lead you into the complexity, into the difficulty, into the challenge, for his glory and for the benefit of others. For you to to be able to to rejoice as you step into it, because you know God is with you. Even if it's challenging, you know God is with you. What a great uh, challenge for us this morning from Acts chapter 5, huh? Let's pray. I'm going to pray for courage for us all. Is that okay? Okay, if you're not courageous, just plug your ears. Lord, I so relate to passages where the disciples are fearful and they're unsure and they're insecure, and yet somehow you manage to transform them and change them. And God, I relate to that because I'm that way too. I'm sure many of my friends here are that way too. Where we lack the courage to allow you to lead us into the life you have for us. And we spend so much energy trying to avoid it and go around it and try to to navigate around it and then we spiritualize it away, saying, no, no, that's too hard to be God's will. But Lord, we read a passage like this in Acts chapter 5 and we can't justify that thinking or belief system. God, for many of us in this room, you're waiting for us to find the courage to step into the life you have for us to face the difficulty, the challenge, the hardship. But Lord, we need to go there because that's where you are. So would you fill our hearts with courage? God, we pray for boldness like the disciples because we need it. Lord, I pray for my friends who are going through challenges right now, difficulties right now, and they they feel as though they're outside of your will. God, would you just comfort them? Let them know you're with them. Let them know that you're leading them. God, I pray for my friends who need to be challenged and who need some discomfort in their lives. God, that you would bring spiritual agitation to our lives. God, that we would move into where you're leading us. I thank you for, for Acts chapter 5. Um, God, we, that's not our common experience. That's not what following Jesus looks like for us. Um, Lord, there's a lot of principles and truths in there that we can learn um, that we can adopt. And so, God, we ask that you help us with that. I pray for all my friends here this morning that you would fill our hearts with courage. God, it's something that, that you've done time and time again, and we believe you still do it. So, God, would you do that for us? We'll give you all the praise, all the glory belongs to you, God. May it glorify you. May it be a benefit to others. And we ask this in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together in worship.
0: For listening to our podcast, Church at the Well is a community reintroducing Jesus in Vermont through worship, service, creativity, and community.